This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep. I am back from vacation, and it's time to talk about the CONCACAF Gold Cup. It's almost here. It's time to talk about Americans abroad transfers, because there's a lot of them. And it's time to talk a little MLS. MLS actually has a busy schedule Wednesday night. We won't get into that since obviously this is dropping just before that. I'll save MLS uh, game talk for the next the next episode. But we have plenty to discuss other than MLS, and we'll get into that right off the bat. CONCACAF Gold Cup. The U.S. national team knows who it will play now in the opener. It will be Haiti, which is pretty much who we expected uh, to come through in uh, in the in the Gold Cup qualifying uh, playoffs that were on Tuesday. Uh, Haiti rolled big, big four one win over, I believe, Bermuda, and uh, they're going to be another tricky challenge for the U.S. in uh, in the Gold Cup in the group stage and. Um, but at least now you know who who it is, who the first opponent will be, and we know it's going to be Haiti, and they are they're going to give a provide a good test for Greg Berhalter's team. And uh, look, the U.S. is uh, they need to get out of that group. They need to win that group. But rest assured, this is a it's going to be a good group. This is going to be a, a challenge. I don't I don't think you're going to see any eight nils, seven nils, uh, a group stage wins for the U.S. in this one, and not just because it's a you know it's not the full strength team. Not just because it's uh, what a lot of people see as, and rightly so, as an experimental squad, but because these teams are these teams are tough. These teams are are not going to roll over. Uh, Haiti, Martinique, and of course Canada, who is the real kind of the real test, the real challenge in this group. So uh, we'll see what happens there. We, we we're going to kick things off. We're going to start things off this episode talking about the starting lineup that we're going to see against Haiti. And I can tell you right now, you're already going to get plenty of angst, plenty of anger and uh, just disgustedness with the idea that we, we, we're going to see a veteran team, uh, a, a lot of the familiar faces, not necessarily new faces in this first game. And uh, just to just to be clear on, on, on things. No one should be that surprised if we're going to see a, a, a lineup of mostly veteran players or, or a lineup of, of players who've been in past camps, who've been in past competitions with the U.S. I mean, is this really is this really that surprising? It shouldn't be, because if you're Greg Berhalter, you want to start your tournament off with a win and you, you're going to want to go with guys who have been there, who've played in these competitions, at least to start out. And it doesn't mean that some of these young guys aren't going to get their chances. And it doesn't mean that for some of these young players, there's not a chance to win a starting job during the tournament. And we've seen that before. We've seen it from Greg Berhalter. We saw it at the last Gold Cup. Remember Reggie Cannon? He went, Reggie Cannon went from not even being on the original, in the plans for the original Gold Cup team, to being on the team, to becoming the starter at right back for the, the semifinals and final of the 2019 Gold Cup. You could absolutely see that and I think you absolutely will see that this time around you're going to see some young players fight their way into the starting lineup earn starting jobs and and really start that first step towards becoming fixtures on the team and potentially playing their way into that World Cup qualifying squad conversation which is really what the Gold Cup's about it's really what this Gold Cup is about 
As much as people, obviously, you're going to say, hey, it should be about the tournament. It should be about the trophy. It should be about winning the whole thing. Obviously, we get that. We get that. Big picture wise, though, the most important thing, and I said it last episode, most important thing is World Cup qualifying. Competing for World Cup qualifying, putting the team together to ensure that the United States qualifies for the next World Cup and gets off to a strong start in September when you have your first qualifiers, three qualifiers in eight days, I believe, including two trips to Central America, El Salvador and Honduras. And actually, now we know where that second game is going to be. United States takes on Canada and their first home qualifier, and it will be played in Nashville, Tennessee. And look, that's a great pick. That's absolutely a great pick. We've already seen in recent years how Nashville's just emerged as this big soccer town. Nashville SC's there. They're obviously having great crowds, success in their, in their now second year in MLS. But also, it's become a, a, a haven for international comp- international matches. You're seeing friendlies there. You're seeing Mexico play there. You're seeing, you've seen the United States play there. And now you're going to see a big, big, big qualifier, U.S.-Mexico. That's a huge one because, look, Canada is a tough team. Canada has a very, I've said it multiple times now. I think Canada is going to qualify for the World Cup, and I think Canada could be absolutely the, be the number three team in CONCACAF this cycle, this, this octagonal. And no disrespect to Costa Rica. We know Costa Rica has been around, but they're, they're in a bit of a down, down moment right now. They, they just changed coaches again. We don't know what's going to happen with Keylor Navas and his future with the program. And they don't really have a ton of young talent coming up. So not to get on too far of a tangent, but the point is Canada is, is on the way up. Canada has some big time talent. We know about Alfonso Davies. We know about Jonathan David. And now, you know, whether it's Kyle Aaron, Mark Anthony Kay, they just continue to, to add more and more quality players. They're, they're going to be a handful. And that first game is going to be a tone setter. That, well, that second game and that first home qualifier for the U.S. is going to be a huge tone setter because you cannot... You cannot drop points at home, folks, and we know this. We, we were reminded of this brutally last time around because you saw what happened. You lose to Costa Rica in New Jersey. You drop those precious points. You lose to Mexico in Columbus. And that comes back to haunt you. And, and now you have a chance here to win that first game. You want to have it somewhere you're, you can guarantee yourself a strong pro U.S. crowd, and Nashville should be able to provide that. So, so that's great. That's great news. Looking forward to that one. I'm hoping to be there unless I have other commitments uh, that require me to be elsewhere. I will be in Nashville. Looking forward to it. Uh, I've had plenty of good times in Nashville. Uh, I have covered some some memorable, both for the positive and the negative uh, matches for the U.S. Uh, obviously, the Olympic qualifying debacle was there. There have been some positive moments as well, but, uh, but we'll see what happens. Canada, U.S., September 5th, I believe. I don't have it in front of me, but yes, that looking forward to that one. Getting back to the main topic at hand, Gold Cup. And I know U.S. fans, we, we talked about the roster last episode, so I'm not going to rehash that overall thing too much. But I know you already kind of see the prevailing, the prevailing theme and the prevailing kind of complaints already are that this is such a weak U.S. team. This team has no chance to win it. This team is just a mishmash of... Uh, You know, you got there's too many MLS players. You know, you get the usual stuff, right? And you're already hearing that, look, the U.S. has no chance to win this Gold Cup. And I'll be the first to tell you, Mexico is far and away the favorite. They are the runaway pick. 
but stranger things have happened. And we've seen U.S. teams beat strong Mexican teams before. But of course, there's that fear of, hey, what if the U.S. doesn't even make the final? What if they don't win their group? What if Canada knocks them off? Because look, Alfonso Davies is there. Alfonso Davies will be in the Gold Cup. Leon Bailey is going to be in the Gold Cup for Jamaica. Mexico is bringing a ton of their first teamers. So you look at all that and you kind of ask yourself, well, what the heck is going on with the U.S.? Where, where's Pulisic? Where's Reyna? Where's McKinney? Where's Adams? Where's Stefan? We know where they are. They're resting. They're getting ready for their preseasons because guess what? They played in Nations League and they won the Nations League. Mexico, obviously, look, I'm surprised as anyone that Mexico has decided to bring bring their full strength squad. But when you look at it more closely, you kind of understand like those players, the players that they are bringing. They're pretty set with their club teams. Their club teams aren't going to, you know, it's not going to it's not going to hurt them that much in their standing with their club teams if they play in this Gold Cup. And Mexico's feeling a little heat after the Nations League. They got they have to. Tata has to be feeling it a little bit. He probably sees he has to see this Gold Cup as a, as an opportunity for a confidence boost for his team heading into World Cup qualifying. And you wouldn't think they need it because look, this Mexico team is strong. This Mexico team is experienced. It's deep. And it absolutely should qualify comfortably. But Tata has his reasons. He's bringing a full-strength team. And now U.S. fans are looking at this U.S. roster and kind of saying, what, uh, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? And again, when it comes down to it, you, Greg Berhalter can't, he can't make his picks. He can't select his team. He can't decide his roster and his game plan based on what Mexico is doing. He's had this plan in place for months now, for months. Nations League was the priority. Gold Cup was going to be a chance to work on depth and identifying players to fill out the squad he will have in World Cup qualifying. And that's still the case. That's still the case. So, uh, you know, and when you listen to Greg Berhalter, he's not conceding just yet. He still believes this is a team that, you know what, they can make it happen. They can still win the Gold Cup. We don't want to look at this as, um, you know, as an experimental team. We want to look at this as a team that can compete to win the Gold Cup. Let's be really clear with that. And that's going to be our expectations. And will it be difficult? Absolutely. But we think there's enough backbone in this group. We think there's enough um, veteran leadership in this group, you know, to make a run and win the Gold Cup. Now, let's talk about the starting lineup. We have to talk about it. Who's going to be the starting lineup? And, and, you know, I dropped the projected story uh, piece on the projected starting lineup on SBI on Wednesday morning. And I can tell you right now, I'm sure it triggered some people because, you know, some of the selections are going to anger you. Because if, if you feel that some of these young guys should already be in the lineup, they should already be starting. They're good enough. They're ready. Get them in there. Get rid of these these guys we've seen a million times and haven't, haven't done enough. We don't need to see Jesse's artist again. We don't need to see Christian Roldan again. I get it. I know it. You expect these things because there's there, there's this, the segments of the fan base. They're all about the new faces. They're all about the young guys. They're all about the next person up, the next prospect. I get it. That's just, it comes with the territory. But I'm not convinced that you're going to see Daryl DK start right off the bat. As much as I... Probably would give him a go just because of how good he's looked when we've seen him. I don't think we're necessarily going to see Gianluca Busio starting in the opening match against Haiti. 
Even though me personally, I think he will. I mean, the way he's playing, the way he has been playing in MLS, he's just he's crushing it. Gianluca Busio is is is, is taking his his career is taking off. You're seeing him blossom, and you're seeing now with the interest coming from Europe. Chances are, six months from now, he absolutely could be in Europe, if not sooner. But is he starting against Haiti? And I, I, that's that's a big question. So. But you listen to Greg Berhalter, and Greg Berhalter makes it clear he rates he rates Busio. He really likes what he sees from Busio, and he brought in Busio for a reason, even though maybe some people didn't think he would bring him in for this Gold Cup. You know, I've been really impressed with the way he's playing, um, both you know mostly at the number six, but also we see him also being able to play an attacking midfield position. So his again, it's a, it's about timing, it's about form. And his time has come. You know, he's done a great job. I'm really looking forward to getting him in camp and working with him, but also testing him at this international level. He will play in games. You know, you guys will see him on the field. And, uh, you know, for me, it's a great, a great opportunity to see what he can do. Again, to me, it's about moments, right? Timing. Um, and, you know, he's been playing so well that this is just a natural time for him to make this step now. He is still a young player. But that doesn't matter. You know, we have a lot of young players in the program. You know, look at Gio Reyna in the, in the Nations League, what he did. You know, same, same age, same year of, of birth. So, you know, we think this is a moment for him. And, you know, really, uh, I'm just really anxious to see how he can perform with our group because I think he's a really talented player, really calm player for his age. And um, I think he can make a big impact with us. So let's start things off. Talk goalkeeper. Not much to talk about. Matt Turner is the pick. He's the guy. Greg Berhalter has made it clear. He is going to be his guy. And obviously you have Sean Johnson. You have Brad Guzan coming back into the fold. Which of them will be the number two? That's an interesting one, you know, because you, I don't think you're going to necessarily see Matt Turner play start every single game. So who gets that other game? Who gets the Martinique game in, in the second game in the group stage? Will it be Johnson? Will Guzan come back in and get a chance to play after being so, gone so long? That's interesting. But Turner is your guy. Defensively, I don't think there's many questions in terms of right back. Reggie Cannon is your guy. You bring him in. He was your starter up until the Nations League. He was your first choice right, right back. Uh, as much as, you know, look, Serginho Dest, you can argue, is the best right back. But Berhalter's been playing Cannon right back, Dest left back. At least that was before the Nations League. So Cannon will start at right back. Should start at right back. Shaq Moore, I think we see him. I think we'll see him against Martinique. I think we'll see him play in this tournament. Absolutely. But for this first game, Reggie Cannon. And at center back, it's pretty clear Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman are your far and away top choice center backs on this team. And then, you know, that Martinique game, I'll keep referencing it because I think that Martin, and no offense to Martinique because Martinique is, Martinique can, you know, they can cause some problems for you. But the U.S. should be, be able to beat Martinique even with their second-choice options on this Gold Cup roster. And that's why I think you will see Busio start against Martinique. That's why I think you'll see a James Sands, a potentially Eric Williamson, Shaq Moore. I think those players, I think you will see start the second game. But the first game against Haiti, I think you'll see Zimmerman and you'll see Robinson. And then at left back, who do you go? Do you go Sam Vines, who's got a bit more experience in terms of the national team? Or do you go George Bello? That young and exciting left back prospect who's really kind of coming into his own. You know, he's been around for a while now that it's, you almost think he's older than he is because, you know, he was already in the mix at 15, 16 for Atlanta. Here he is 18 now, and he's like kind of a, you almost think he's a veteran. 
I think he's got a shot. I think I think Bello has a shot to grab the starting job. But let's just say for this first game, the Haiti game, Sam Vines, Colorado Rapids, your guy, he'll start left back, I think. I think that's what Burhalter will do. Me personally, I'd want to see George Bello, but I also think you'll see Bello against Martinique. In the midfield, so many questions. So many questions in the midfield. Starting with, do you start Busio right off the bat? You're in Kansas City, his hometown, where well, his where he plays his you know, the team he plays for for an MLS. Or do you go with your veterans to get off to a strong start? And I think that's what I think that's what Berhalter does. I think Sebastian Legette, Christian Roldan, and Kellen Acosta will be your starting midfield trio. Absolutely. And then from there, you know, you look at that Martinique game and then you can go Busio, Williamson, Ewell. Absolutely. I think that I think that for me that's how I see it. I see the breakup, breakdown. First game, the veterans, Martinique game, the younger guys. And then when you go to that Canada game, then you can weigh you can weigh both both options. You can weigh every you you will have given every single player their opportunity. And then you play the toughest team in your group. And you have a sense of who's in form, who's who who fits with your best team heading into the groups, into the into the knockout rounds. So I think that's what you're going to see. And I know some people are going to freak out because Busio should not be Busio should be starting over Christian Moldan. That's going to be the complaint. That's going to be, you know, for the the fans who want to see the the teenager with the potential, the with a seemingly limitless potential over a player in a roll down who's been around, who's had plenty of opportunities and who hasn't lit it up with the national team. I get it. I get it on some level, but at the same time, Christian Roldan's been playing extremely well in MLS this season. One of the best players in MLS this season. Seattle, and he's a big reason for the Seattle Sounders being, you know, on the run that they've been on to start the season. So for me, he's in there. He's going to start this game. Now, does it mean he holds off Busio the whole tournament? No. Doesn't mean that at all. Busio, the way Busio is playing, I mean, I'm high on Busio. Let's be clear. I don't want anyone thinking because I don't project him to start against Haiti that I don't see the talent, that I don't see the potential, and that I don't see what, what, it, what I think it's pretty clear to see that he is blossoming. And that, you know, if he can continue on this trajectory, he can he can break his way into the full squad, the full squad for World Cup qualifying, and that and you know some people say, oh, he's young, you know, is he really? But look, as you know, as Greg Berhalter makes the great point, the current first team, the current full strength U.S. team, already has players that age in the mix, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. Busio also joins that mix. And now the front three, that another big big question there, striker, do you go with? Jossie's artists, or do you go with Daryl DK? And that, and it, there's going to be so much hand wringing about this because everybody knows Burhalter's relationship with Zardis. Everybody knows Zardis played for him at Columbus. That he's gotten a ton of opportunities for him with the national team. He knows Burhalter's system in and out probably better than anyone in the current pool. In the current play pool, I don't know another player who knows Burhalter's system better than Jossie Zardes. So when you look at it that way and you're going and you're talking about this first game and you also look at Zardes playing the way he's playing in MLS, it's easy to ignore. I know the, the people who don't rate MLS or who just refuse to watch MLS or who don't think MLS is any good, they don't care how well Jossie Zardes is doing in MLS. But he is doing well in MLS. So he's, he's scoring goals, he's on form, and he knows the system. That's why he starts, I think. That's why he starts against Haiti. And having said all that, 
Daryl DK, man, he is, he's, there's something there. You saw it against Costa Rica after the Nations League in that friendly. He showed, he showed those glimpses. He showed it obviously on loan at Barnsley, just, just him just scoring the goals that he's scoring. So he is there. He's in the picture. He's in the conversation. And I think he's an example of, he's another example of someone who maybe doesn't start against Haiti. But is absolutely possibly going to start, will be starting when the Gold Cup final lines up in Vegas. Potentially U.S. against Mexico. Daryl Dick is your guy. By then, he will have won the job. Absolutely. I could totally see that. I don't know why anyone wouldn't be able to see that because the way he's been playing. But first game, first things first, Haiti. I think his artist gets the call. Now, some of these other spots on the wings, very interesting questions, very interesting options. Berhalter really... Uh, had some people confused with the roster that he picked because it was like, what is all these? You have like four four strikers. Where do you fit them all when you only play one? And, you know, he he, he laid it out very quickly. Nicholas Giacchini is going to be playing on the wing. He's going to use Matthew Hoppy on the wing. Matthew Hoppy's not a winger. We know this. He's like 6'3". I mean, I think he's, just, you know, six, whether he's 6'2 or 6'3", it depends on who you ask. He's, he's, not, he's not a traditional, prototypical winger. He's not a fast, up-and-down guy. He's not necessarily taking people on on the dribble. How does he fit in as a winger? That's going to be the interesting thing. Giacchini, on the other hand, has played as a winger for his club team. So it's not, we're not talking a fish-out-of-water situation, which is why I think Giacchini has a very good chance of starting. Uh, as much as Paul Ariola, Jonathan Lewis are natural wingers. I think Giacchini, you know, just with what he brings to the table in terms of his finishing ability, his his strength in the air, he can, he can take people on. I think he has some good qualities. I think he starts. I think you go Ariola, Giacchini as your wingers on either on either side of Jossi Zardes for game 1. After that, Matthew Hoppy I think gets his shot. He could start Look, Matthew Hoppy could absolutely start against Haiti. I'm not ruling it out by any means. Could we see Hoppy Giacchini right off the bat in the first game? Yes. Yes, you could. I think Hoppy really is going to come down to what he looks like in camp. And can he beat out of Ariola? Can, can, you know, can he show enough? I think Ariola starts. I think Ariola is the most natural of the wingers. He also has that experience. He's playing well for DC United right now. He's obviously, you know, when you talk about overcoming the knee injury and the surgery and getting back to this form, you know, he obviously in the winter, you know, came back for the national team, scored the goals for the national team. So you, you had the feel good story about him making his triumphant return, his recovery. And it was great to see. But is he going to hold off these guys? Giacchini, Hoppy. That's, a, that's an interesting one. So I want to see Hoppy play. I want to see Giacchini play. I want to see DK play. I think most people do. I think most U.S. fans want to see these three guys. But I still think you're going to see the veterans get their shot right off the bat against Haiti. And that veteran team will be, should beat Haiti. As much as you might not like Jossie's artists, so much, as much as you might not like Christian Roldan, these guys can beat Haiti and should beat Haiti, and I think they will beat Haiti, if that's the lineup you go with. And then if you get those three points in the bag... You go into the the Martinique match being able to rotate your squad, and that's what I think happens. And I know some people will say, well, I'll, I'll look forward to the Martinique game more than Haiti game just because of the players that are probably play. And that's all well and good. But I'm just saying, don't just assume because veterans start the first game that they'll still start when the knockouts happen, when the knockout rounds happen, when the semifinals and final happen. Because I'll tell you what, if Gianluca Busio, if Matthew Hoppy, if Daryl DK, if George Bello, 
if these guys are playing really well and impressing in, in training and just and they really made, it's pretty clear they should be starting when it gets down to the nitty gritty when it gets down to the knockout rounds they will be starting Greg Berhalter has shown he does not mind changing his mind he does not mind elevating someone into a starting role that maybe he hadn't thought about starting initially Reggie Cannon, perfect example, exhibit A of that exact situation. And I think we'll see that in this Gold Cup. And I think that's it for the Gold Cup talk. Kevin Paredes and Moses Nyman did join the U.S. Men's National Team for training camp there. The D.C. United teenagers were on the preliminary roster, were not chosen for the Gold Cup squad, but they are getting a chance to train and get that first experience in the national team setup. I think that's a great move for Greg Berhalter. Obviously, Nyman, I believe, you know, he's a dual national, but he did get recently get his U.S. citizenship. He got well, he got his passport, so he's good to go. He can train with the U.S. Uh, young central midfielder. He, he, I think he's still a ways away from from you know being a factor for the national team, but it's still it's still nice to see these young talents uh, get that opportunity to get to experience the national team. And Kevin Paredes, let, let, let's be clear, Kevin Paredes. I gotta work. I gotta make sure I put the Spanish sauce on it because I was getting called out last episode for how I was saying Julian Araujo. I was slacking. I was on vacation. I definitely had the Jersey accent on on, on full display last episode. But look, Kevin Paredes is he's he's tearing it up for DC United, and I'll get into MLS later. But I gotta say, Kevin Paredes for DC United, left wing back, left footed, dangerous, talented, skilled left footed options, wing backs, fullbacks. They're like gold. And Paredes, with his speed and his confidence and his skill at this age, I mean, you understand why Berhalter is bringing him in already. Because he wants to have a look. He wants to see it in person. Uh, Does he still need some developing? Is he still pretty raw? Yeah, still pretty young. Yes, yes, yes. But, I mean, if you watch DC, if you watch Paredes recently, you got to like what you see. You, You absolutely do. And let's face it, the U.S. isn't like overflowing with with really exciting left footed options, left cent, left back, left wing back options. So great! It's great to see him get that chance to be around the team in Kansas City this week. Moving on to Americans abroad, and we're going to talk about some of the same players. Only now we're going to talk about Americans abroad and potential moves for clubs. Gianluca Busio and Tanner Testman have both been linked to Serie newly promoted Serie A side Venezia. Venezia, the team in Venice, uh, owned. they have an American owner. They are now in Serie A, and they are looking at some Americans. And Busio, Busio's been linked to a few different teams. Uh, Sassuolo was another team. And, and to be clear, Busio has, I believe he has an Italian passport, so that just makes things a lot easier for him in terms of being able to, to join teams in Italy. Because in Italy, Italian teams, Serie A teams only have a certain number of foreign player slots. And as much as you can get your Italian citizenship pretty quickly, I believe it's six months. You know, for players there, once they're there, six months they get their citizenship, and they no longer qualify as a foreign player. So, Busio and Tessman have both been linked with Venezia, and I've been told that that it's there's legitimate conversations going on, and that there's a good chance you could see both sign with Venezia. And it's not, nothing's done as of the, the last. I, I was told I was speaking to someone with knowledge of the, of the situation. On Tuesday, and I was told that, you know, we're talking about a high probability that you could see Busio and Tessman together. I'm a little surprised at Tessman only because I don't know if he's a player. He doesn't strike me as someone who a team would necessarily, 
use one of their foreign player slots to bring in. Because I, I don't know, is he someone who's, who's plugging in to start in Serie A right away? That's a little bit of a question mark. But let's not forget, Brian Reynolds, similar situation. A, uh, AS Roma brought him in, signed him. Even though he wasn't really necessarily going to play much, they still use the foreign player slot on him. So maybe we'll get that again. If Busio goes to Venezia, that, I think that's him in Serie A is great. I would like to see him go to Sassuolo. It's unclear what's going on with Sassuolo. We know Locatelli having a great Euros, probably going to make a move to you know Arsenal. He's been linked to Arsenal. He's been linked to a few different clubs. If Sassuolo sells Locatelli and Busio can step in there and have that chance to play, then, I mean, that'd be a great. Sassuolo's a great team. They play a great style. But Venezia sounds like, you know, they 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 have a very good chance of signing Busio and Tessman, and they could be that that kind of flavor in Serie A, you know, you know how it works. If you have more if you have a few Americans on your team, you automatically gain American fans. And that's not to say Venezia is gonna sign these guys just because they're American, but it does not hurt. I would say that, to be clear. In other Americans brought news, Sebastian Soto is joining FC Porto on loan. And while he's more than likely going to start off playing with Porto B, it's great news. And I'll tell you why. Because Porto, let's be, if anyone who knows European soccer and follows the game in the international market, Porto knows talent. FC Porto knows talent. So if they see you and they bring you in, it's because they see quality and they see the potential for you developing. And look, it's a loan. Norwich City has his rights still, but it, I'm sure Porto isn't taking him on loan unless there's a purchase option. So it's an opportunity for Soto to go somewhere that is known for developing talent. It's known for giving uh, young players opportunities to play. Uh, it's a high-level club, Champions League club. So uh, I think that's great for them. Is that great for him? Does it? You know, is he going to break into the first team? That's the challenge. That's going to be the challenge. He'll play. He, he you know, he's probably going to play for Porto B. And we saw Eric Palmer Brown take a similar path a few years back. He played at Porto B, played well, got some experience there. And, you know, I think you could see Soto do that. And obviously Soto's been stagnating a bit since he left uh, the Netherlands, uh, where he got that regular run. Uh, And I want to see him do that again. So hopefully, actually, I misspoke on that. Hopefully, hopefully Soto gets his chance because he's such a talented player and he just has not gotten the opportunities that you'd like to see him, the steady playing time that you would like to see him get so he can really put himself into the conversation. And all of a sudden, crowded conversation uh, among young American strikers, among young strikers in the U.S. national team pipeline. And I tell you, I'm a, so, I, I, I have always rated Soto. I've always thought he was a very talented player. Uh, and he needs to go somewhere and get, get, and get minutes. Absolutely. Desperately. Speaking of uh, former U.S. under-20 standouts who need to get minutes, Alex Mendez is signed with newly promoted Portuguese side FC Vizela. So we've got an American revolution heading over to Portugal. You got Soto, you got Mendez, even though Reggie Cannon's trying to leave, desperately leave Portugal. Alex Mendez, who stagnated at Ajax, never broke through. There's so much young talent at Ajax. It's a tough place to break in, especially when you're kind of not not a product. You're not an academy product. Ajax has so much talent coming through their pipeline that it's hard to come in there and really kind of, you know, establish yourself. And look, Serginio Dest, he was an Ajax academy product, so he came through their system. Mendez... Uh, arrived there a year ago, I want to say at least a year or so ago, and he just it just didn't work for him. He just didn't break through. He had to go somewhere. And hopefully this is the move for him. Hopefully FC Fazella can offer him the playing time that he needs uh, to start showing the quality that he has. And I got to say, for anyone who, who who doubts 
that he's a talent or who doesn't think, you know, maybe thinks, oh, I mean, you know, he was overrated. Maybe it was hype. Maybe maybe he wasn't as good as we thought. I'm not ready to go there, folks. I'm not ready to sit there and say Alex Mendez isn't a talented player because he was too good on that U.S. under 20 World Cup team that had all those players that had Dest, that had Chris Richards, that had Tim Weah. He was too good. To, to not to not re- be the real deal. He is the real deal. He just, you know what? He hasn't been in the best situations yet that, to, to really showcase his ability or, or you know, he, and it's, you know, some of it could be on him as well, not taking opportunities if they've come. But this seems like a very good opportunity because if he can get regular first team minutes in Portugal and does well there, that's definitely a place to, where you can springboard. And we've seen it. Portugal, plenty of teams from all over all over Europe go to Portugal. They go shopping. They go shopping for talent. So if Mendes can do well for Vizela, who knows what the next step could be for him. Another player who is reportedly on the move or set to be on the move and linked to multiple teams, Ethan Horvath. And we know his contract expired with Club Bruges. And the Nations League hero has now been linked to Fulham. And we know the long and storied history of American players at Fulham Ethan Horvath could be that next player. And he's been linked to a few different teams. I think Huddersfield Town was another team that he was linked to. It's looking like England. It's looking like England. Is a, there's a very good chance England, there's a lot of English teams that are looking at him. He's a good goalkeeper. He obviously was stuck behind Stefan Mignolet at Bruges. And uh, now it's his chance to go somewhere and really try to compete for playing time. He needs to go and play somewhere. He absolutely does. If he's really going to push Zach Stefan for the starting job, he needs to go somewhere. And, and you know, Fulham could be that opportunity. Fulham is, they, they were recently relegated. They're, gonna, they're getting ready to fight, try to fight back up to the Premier League. Scott Parker left. So they're going to have a new coach. And maybe, Hor- maybe Horvath could be that next American to find success at Fulham. And there's been a few of them. There's been quite a few of them. One American who is reportedly looking like they're going to be leaving Fulham is Anthony Robinson and the Manchester City rumors continue to persist and I know some people are scratching their head like what Anthony Robinson Pep Guardiola he wants Anthony Robinson it's an interesting one I gotta say right because Robinson look he's a very he's 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 super athletic he's uh he gets up and down he can play as he's shown he can play a bit as a wing back but you know he can be a left back is he the most technical left back that's the big question, and that's kind of why Greg Berhalter has, t- you know, took some time, has taken some time to warm up to the idea of an, of Anthony Robinson as the the U.S. national team left back is because of that perception that he's not technical enough, that he's not a sharp enough passer, he's not clean enough on the ball, and it's kind of like, well, if these all things are, if all these things are the, are true, why in the world is Man City interested? That that that's where you're kind of like, hmm, what do they see? And look, Man City. Man City, you know, maybe they're looking for some bargains. They got to save some money because they have to go spend a hundred million on a striker. They have to re- uh, replace Sergio Aguero and Harry. You know, whether it's Harry Kane, whether it's Erling Haaland, Pep Guardiola is crying poverty, saying, "Oh, we don't have the money. These prices for these strikers are ridiculous. We, we, you know, we're not going to buy anybody." That's all well and good. I don't buy it, but the Robinson rumor, interesting one. Wherever Robinson goes, I think Robinson good, is good enough to be a Premier League starter. But City. Even if it's true, right? Even if there's something to this Man City rumor, what, what what's he going to do? Anthony Robinson's not going to go to City and start. And I'm sure, you know, if he ends up doing so, I'll be reminded of this statement. But I don't see him starting at City, so why go to City? I guess, look, it's City. You have an opportunity to go to a big club like that. You do it, just like Robinson was ready to go to AC Milan, even though he wasn't going to start. 
maybe we need to start giving Robinson a little more credit, right? Robinson was going to AC Milan was going to sign Anthony Robinson. Only only the the medical that he underwent and only the underlying heart condition that he had that was discovered, only that kept him from going to AC Milan. And now you have a Manchester City rumor, and you're kind of like, whoa, maybe we need to start looking at Robinson a little more closely and giving him a little more respect and realizing big teams are interested in him. So we'll see. We'll see. I I, I don't know if I buy it, but I, one one thing is clear. I He's got to leave Fulham. He's good enough to play in the Premier League. You don't want to see him slog through a, 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 a promotion chase in the league championship. He's good enough for the Premier League. Hopefully he finds a place in the Premier League next season. Uh, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to talk a little MLS. Uh, obviously, look, the U.S. Women's National Team also played. They played their second uh, their second and final Olympic tune-up. They played, yes, you guessed it. They played Mexico again, and they beat them again, 4-0 again. And Lindsay Horan played very well. She had a beautiful goal, the first goal. And then Tobin Heath scored for the second straight match. And I said it last game. I'll say it this game. Hopefully now people have, will have put to bed the complaints about why she was even on the team. Now you know why she's on the team. She deserves to be on. She's that good. Lindsay Horan, you know, it, you got to start her, I think. I think you got to start her. You, you put her on the field, her and U.S. right away. You put them in, them two in. Uh as much as there's so much competition, so much competition for the midfield spots for the U.S. women's national team. We shall see. We'll, uh, you know, they're still the favorites uh, for the for the gold medal. And one thing I will say that's interesting now that the reports are out that the Olympic Committee or the Olympic organizers are going to extend or going to increase the size of the rosters. So so you, you could see rosters expanded to 22, which I have to say it, it is... It, after all the hand wringing and all the you know all the speculation about who might make it, who might not make it, and they, at the end of the day, it was for nothing because if it ends up being a twenty-two player roster, then Carly Lloyd was never not going to make it. Katarina Macario will be part of the twenty-two if that's chosen. Um, so I think, look, that's if, for the U.S. It'll be great. It'll be great for the U.S. Obviously, uh, it, it'll it, it's going to help. It's going to help tremendously. Uh, for the U.S. just because it gives them even more depth. And there are not many teams in the world that have the depth that the U.S. has. So that only that's only a positive. Uh, one thing I got to say for the U.S., the send-off series. You couldn't find anyone else to play besides Mexico twice. And no disrespect to Mexico, but, I mean, you're the best team in the world, right? Why are you playing Mexico twice? Is it just a case of you know it, it being difficult to find national teams that were available? That 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 could be it. And, and I you know I, I don't know all the particulars. I just I just don't know what how much they, was there to gain, how much was really learned by beating up Mexico for two straight games. I don't think much. I mean they sold tickets, they made some money, but what did they really learn anything? I don't I don't I don't know if they did. I really don't. I think it would have been great if they could play a France. Uh, you know, if they could play one of these teams that one of these top teams that wasn't that isn't going to the Olympics. And again, availability is a big question with the pandemic and everything going on. You don't know. You don't know all the particulars in terms of availability. So I'll, I'll be the first to say that. But for me, I think it would have been nice if the U.S. played at least one top tier team in one of these send off matches just to get them ready because they play Sweden in their first game. And that is going to be a tough one right off the bat. And you don't want to lose your first Olympic game right off the bat. You really don't. So we'll see what happens. But this U.S. team looks really good. They're still the favorites. They're still the pick. They're so strong, top to bottom. 
and they're deep. And if you give them 22 players, if you go from 18 to 22, it's even stronger. Because I don't know many teams in the world that, that were, were ready to leave a Katarina Macario home. And now they add her. Just make them deeper. So they're still the favorites. They're still the pick to win the gold in Tokyo. Up next, we have to talk MLS. And Chris Armis has been fired as Toronto FC head coach after uh, a really, really bad start in MLS. Um, 11 matches in. I want to say one win. Not enough. Not enough wins. Not enough points. Uh, and he's out. And I'll, let me be the first to say, when he was hired, I thought he would do well. I thought he had a chance to do well. And, you know, I, I, I like Chris Armas as a coach. I, I, I thought his time at the Red Bulls, the way it ended, the way they took that team apart, did him no favors. But there was just really, at a certain point towards the end with Toronto FC, there was just no, there was just no defending the results. And obviously when you lose 7-1 at the end, he had to go. I mean, there's just no defending it. As much as you can point to a lot of different things, Alejandro Pozuelo's injury and him being out, Toronto being one of the teams, one of the Canadian teams that you know hadn't been home. They couldn't play their games at home. Chris Armas never got to coach a team at BMO Field. You know, even with all those things, once you you know when you go that long without getting any results, and then you get destroyed by a not amazing DC team, and not, I don't want to crap on DC. Credit to DC, they've they've shown some good things, and Hernan Lasada is doing some good things with that group, especially with some of these young players like Kevin Paredes. But seven one, I mean, why? I mean, I know there was a red card and all that toward the end, and it got it got poured on a bit at the end. It was really like four one, and the red card happened. Whatever, Chris Armas, uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, and you know, at that point, you know, you've been you've been fired from two different teams. Uh, you know, who, where does he go from here? That's that's a tough one. Uh, uh, Toronto has the talent, though. Toronto has talent on that team. As much as they were missing some players, they had different issues. The Josie Altidore soap opera, you know, you can point to a, a few different reasons why it didn't end up working out. And and he at the end of the day, he has to take the blame. He has to take the blame. And I thought I thought it was interesting that for the second time, Armis is fired after losing to DC because I believe it was the same thing that happened uh, with the Red Bulls. They lost to DC on a last minute goal. And then the Red Bulls fired Armas. They, they saw their opportunity, and that one was a little more premeditated. Whereas I wonder if DC, if if they if they only lose two to one at DC, is he fired? Who knows? But you go eleven games and have that terrible a run when you see a team like Montreal, who is dealing with some of the same, same issues. Montreal's getting results. Montreal's getting points. Montreal isn't nearly as talented as team a team as TFC. Although, hey. Pozuelo, Pozuelo's injury and Pozuelo's absence for a lot of the start of this season is a big deal. You can absolutely say that. The whole Josie Altidore drama duh, didn't help, hasn't helped. And you can put some of that on Armis because it definitely feels like him and you know, Armis and Altidore obviously clashed heads. And they butted heads and uh, it wasn't a great situation there. So I don't know, man. TFC, it's an interesting one. And it's not easy. I got to say this. It's never easy to replace uh, a winning and successful coach who left on good terms and who left in a good in a good state of situation like Greg Vaney one of the top coaches in MLS had enjoyed considerable success with TFC really well liked coach so he leaves he, he you know he leaves he ends up at LA Galaxy and you Chris Armas you have to take over you have those big shoes to fill he's a different kind of coach 
is he as good a coach as Vanny? No, he's not as good a coach as Vanny. The track record speaks for itself. Vanny's one of the best in the league. Chris Armas, unproven. Has yet to prove consistently that he can do it. He obviously had that half a season where he helped the Red Bulls win the Supporters' Shield. And yet Red Bulls fans have not let go of the fact that, you know, in the playoffs, some of Armas' tactical decisions cost them a chance to beat Atlanta. And it cost them a chance, a real chance, of winning an MLS Cup. And Red Bulls fans haven't lived it. They haven't forgotten it. They're never going to live that one down because I saw some of those messages from people who were uh, some of the Red Bulls fans who were not going to let me forget the times that I uh, backed Armas or the times that I put the blame on the Red Bulls and not Chris Armas for some of the stuff toward the end. And I stand by those things. I stand by those statements on the Red Bulls when Armas was there, not them not supporting him with the kind of a team that he could really win with and them taking apart the team that was so good. You, you know, obviously you let Tyler Adams go to, to, to Leipzig. You don't, you know, you, you don't replace so many pieces. And of course the Red Bulls are doing well now. Gerhard Stuber, credit to him. He's doing a great job with that young team. Are they, are they any closer to winning an MLS cup? No, but they have a, an exciting team, fun to watch young players coming into their own and it's basically become what the Red Bulls are going to be, which is a, a, a development ground for young talent to move on. Is that necessarily a formula to win a league? I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm going on a little tangent there. But getting back to the main point, Chris Armas is out. Uh, TFC is looking for their new coach. They, they're in a bit of a, you know, you, when you look at their roster now, some of the pressure, there's definitely now pressure on Ali Curtis because he hired Armas. He's come in. He has that pressure. Tim Bezbachenko obviously, you know, helped build a really strong foundation there, uh, MLS Cup winning foundation there. And Ali Curtis has stepped in there with with real uh, high expectations, and he hasn't fulfilled those yet. So we'll see what TFC does from here, where they go from here. Do they do they resolve the Josie situation with whatever coaching move they they make, or do they get rid of? Or they still find a way to get rid of Josie Altador because. It's been clear for some time, even before Armas was there, that they wanted to get rid of Altador. And just the question is, where does he go? Who takes him? Who takes that salary? Big questions there. So a lot of questions in Toronto. It's unfortunate because there's so much talent there, and they have so they they have such a strong fan base in Toronto that's been forced to watch them from afar and watch them really kind of fall apart. And it's unfortunate. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens with Armas. I think I think Armas will resurface as an assistant coach. I think he's going to have to wait a while. Uh, for another head coaching opportunity, but you have to think he will, if he gets another opportunity, I, I think he'll, he'll think twice about taking over for a highly successful coach. I think if anything, he'll want a position where he's taking over for a, a train wreck of a team or, or maybe an expansion team. But as he's learned now, replacing Jesse Marsh and replacing Greg Vanny, it's not easy replacing a top level coach. Uh, some other quick hit MLS news items. Julian Araujo has signed a new deal with the LA Galaxy. Uh, again, as I always say with these new deals, it does not mean that now he will not be sold. It does not mean that now a transfer absolutely won't happen. It just means, above all, that if the Galaxy do choose to sell him, they have the control. They can ask for the price uh, and not, and they won't lose him for nothing, which is what you never want to do with a talent like Julian Araujo. And we'll see what happens, obviously, with the whole national team situation. Who's he going to play for, U.S. or Mexico? Uh, will some Liga Mekis teams start lining up trying to bring him, trying to buy him because he's a really talented fullback? So we'll see there. Uh, hopefully he picks the U.S. and you know adds to that depth at right back because he's a really talented player and, and absolutely could potentially be a starter for the United States. Um, 
but we'll see. He has to pick. Uh, Indiana Vasilev has joined Inter Miami on loan. The Aston Villa Loney, former U.S. youth national team player, joining the train wreck that is Inter Miami. Hopefully, they'll be hoping that he can help their attack, help, help them find some stability, some some creativity in attack. Uh, he's still an unproven player, right? I mean, he, he, he but in the, Inter Miami is in such dire straits that, you know, they'll be hoping that he can hit the ground running and help them. Charlotte, the new expansion team, the new MLS expansion team, Charlotte has hired their new coach, Spanish coach Miguel Angel Ramirez as their new coach. Uh, this is an interesting hire. I got to say, when you look at his resume, uh, you know, he's won a Copa Sudamericana. He's a relatively young coach. Uh, some might say he's almost, he's a little untested, but he's, a, according to Charlotte, he's this hotshot coaching prospect. A lot of teams wanted him. A lot of teams were interested, but Charlotte took him. The one thing I would say about Charlotte's hire is now Charlotte has a foreign general manager and a foreign head coach. And I've said this before. And I've said this before. As far as I know, and anyone can chime in and let me know if I am wrong, we have not seen the combination of a foreign head coach and a foreign general manager combining to lead a a successful MLS team. We haven't seen it. Not yet. We've seen one or the other. We've seen a a Tata Martino. We've seen a Patrick Vieira do well. Foreign coaches. They've broken through that. They broke through that stigma of the foreign coach in MLS not being able to succeed. We've seen it now. We've seen general managers succeed. Foreign general managers. Ernst Tanner in Philadelphia. Exhibit A. We haven't seen them both. And to be fair, we haven't seen that, uh, the combination often in MLS. I think most recently we saw Jesse Fiorinelli and Almeida. And that didn't work out. That hasn't worked out, really. Fiorinelli was fired, so clearly it hasn't worked out. So... Uh, we'll see with Charlotte. We'll see with Charlotte. That's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, an expansion team choosing to to not have an American either as the coach or the or the lead uh, uh, sporting side person. That's an interesting decision. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Charlotte in that front. Uh, but I believe that's it. We're wrapping up. Uh, we will have another episode. I will have another episode uh, before the Gold Cup starts. So uh, it hopefully. Hopefully Friday. I'm aiming for Friday. I know this is dropping late Wednesday. That's a pretty quick turnaround time, but I know we're going to have plenty of MLS to discuss. Uh, we can maybe try to preview the weekend's international uh, menu, which has got some huge games. You have Copa America final, Argentina against Brazil. Can't wait. That's going to be a fun one, exciting one. Argentina beating Colombia in the penalty shootout. You have Lionel Messi versus Neymar. Lionel Messi, can he finally lead Argentina to an international title? That's the big one. And Brazil, they've won every Copa America that Brazil has hosted. Can they keep that perfect record intact? I can't wait. That's going to be a huge one. And then the Euro 2020 final. Yes, it's 2021, but it's the Euro 2020 final. Italy against England. And I'm watching England put the finishing touches on their Extra time win over Denmark, 2-1. Harry Kane penalty, dubious penalty, I got to say. Just looking at it, looked like a highly questionable penalty decision. Uh, I did. I threw up a poll on uh, Twitter, and 91% of voters don't think it was a penalty. So take that for what it's worth. Italy, England. I know I'm not supposed to be rooting, but I think anyone who's not English is going to be rooting for Italy because, you know, Italy's been unbelievable this tournament. Uh, they, they'll be the both teams have played well, to be fair. But 
England fans, well, let's all face it, England fans can be a bit incorrigible. And if they win Euros, how? I mean, they're already insufferable as it is. Imagine how insufferable England fans will be if England actually wins a tournament. I mean, we, who wants that? Nobody wants that. So uh, here's to Italy. Hopefully Italy can pull it off. And uh, Benucci and, and Chiellini can, can, add a, can add a Euro title to their extensive resumes. And for those who missed it, one of the moments of the week was Leonardo Benucci being mistaken for a pitch invader. Uh, by a steward who thought he was an Italy fan trying to get onto the field. And uh, if you haven't seen the clip, check out my Twitter uh, timeline. You'll see it on there. I put a I put a tweet up with the extended clip of what happened because the initial clip that was making the rounds just showed when the steward grabbed the Chiellini, I mean, uh, grabbed Bonucci, and he kind of looked at her with that kind of puzzled face. Uh, but I, I found an extens- an extended clip that showed her realize her mistake and Bonucci laugh and give her a hug, which I thought just was a great, just kind of great cap. Because, I mean, that, that it, it's like a whole story in a, in a one-minute clip. Because I know people who saw the initial clip thought, oh, man, what happened there? Did that become an issue? But Bonucci handled it with such class. I love Bonucci. He's, he's one of, I, I respect him so much. Aside from being a great player, you can tell he's a great person. Um, and Italy, man, I think most, I think most non-England folks will be rooting for Italy in that one. But it's, it should be a great final. We'll see what happens there. But plenty to watch this weekend. And, of course, you have the Copa, the Gold Cup kicking off on Sunday with U.S. against Haiti. We will have another episode before then, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, it should it should be uh, Friday. If not, look for an episode on Saturday morning. That's the goal. I'm going to shoot for Saturday morning, which if it drops on Saturday morning, it means I have stayed up all night Friday recording it. Uh, we'll try to get a guest or two on. We will get guests rolling again. I'm back home. I'm back in my studio. I don't know if you can tell the difference, uh, h- how it sounds, if the quality, the audio quality sounds better than me recording on my iPhone from from the, the hotel at the beach. Uh, this is uh, hopefully slightly better. Uh, but I think we covered everything I wanted to get into this episode. Um, we will get the guests rolling in soon enough, maybe starting next week. I don't know if we'll have a guest this particular last this next episode on Friday, Saturday, but we will get the guests rolling again starting next week. Um, but I think that's it. Uh, that's all for now. I'm Ivis Galarset. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>